Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Uh, this is an exciting series, and uh, we're wrapping up. If you have your bulletin card in front of you, you can see uh, we've been looking at chapter 3 all the way today into chapter 5. And uh, some of you uh, may not have noticed all the things that were in chapter 3 and 4. Almost everybody, at least in seminary, everybody knew about chapter 5. Chapter 5 was the, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and uh, that's, that's, um, that's a topic that is sometimes hard to preach on, uh, but it's part of the, uh, the exposure that God in his providence revealed. This is how it came to pass. If you're following along with me today, there is a fourth point uh, sheet on the back of the church right by the cross. You can pick it up. There's some questions at the end, some follow-up things, especially as you're going home today or you're at a meal uh, or even if you're in one of our community groups. We do want you to wrestle with the truth of, of the scriptures. Now, uh, if you could bring the word cloud up, I want to be able to remind people that you are at uh, New Covenant Church, and we are known as a Bible-believing church, and hence the Bible is open here, the Bible is open on the communion table, and I pray that the Bible is open to you at home as well. Uh, part of our theme is to be deep and wide, deep in the scriptures, and then the wide is worship and influence, uh, then discipleship and evangelism. But the Bible is super important. And then if you look, uh, the other big thing on here has to do with the gospel. And where do you get the gospel? Do you turn to CNN? They're full of good news, aren't they? Maybe it's just the Apple news that you listen to, or, or, or maybe some of you have uh, your special uh, One News Network or something. Uh, if you want to find good news, uh, you're, you're going to have to look into the Scriptures. Uh, because when you look around, what you find is a lot of bad news. Because the news that is going on around us is about uh, the, the, the broken world that we live in. Uh, how many people do you know are perfect? Even excluding the person in the mirror. You know, my point is, is that we all are sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we've all leaned on our own understanding, or as, as the book of uh, Judges uh, concluded, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. I mean, isn't that what we're prone to do? And hence the song, we're prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We're a gospel-driven church, and the reason that we are here is that the Word of God is opened, and the good news is proclaimed every week from this, from this pulpit. And I pray it's coming off of your lips, as well as being demonstrated in your lives, and even by your loves. What is it that you cherish and you hang on to? I'll be touching on some of these things in the sermon today, so I just want to encourage you to know that this is who we are. We're multi-generational, friendly, missional, a caring, blended, worship, cherishing, uh, reformed, and covenantal, uh, regional as well. Now, some of those words, they may not resonate to you, but they do to me. And if you come to the new members class, I'll be glad to explain why we are what we are. And also, I'm open, if you know better, please show me. I am a student of the Word, and I'm a proclaimer of the Word. Hence, this is called expository preaching, or exposing what's in the text. So if you will now, with that in mind, we're going to look at the Scriptures, and we're going to reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, inspired, infallible Word as it was given in the originals. And if you're following along with me, uh, you can find that the texts 
the text of Scripture that we're going to be looking at is chapter 4. Uh, so let's look there right now. It's found on your Pew Bibles, page 1160. Uh, or if you're following along, it might even be on the screen above us. Uh, but I want to look at God's Word. The, uh, the text for us... It, it draws your attention uh, to a, an interesting thing in verse 34 of chapter 4. There was not a needy person among them. I just like to just think about what that was like. Nobody needs a pastoral visit. Nobody seems to be in the hospital. Maybe they didn't have hospitals back then. But for this particular moment... The scripture tells us that the people of God were in a beautiful oasis. Now, let me, let me get into, um, uh, this bubble was burst real quick, but I did want you to have that calm, serene, Calgon moment. Now, let's look at the Word of God, how it explains. This is what's happening in chapter 4. Luke is giving us the Acts of the Apostles. He's he was not there, so the Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, ends up writing a, for, his, for his friend Theophilus an account of how things continued on after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now, in chapter 4, it's in the beginning of his account. We've just had Peter preach on Pentecost, and then the power of God continued to be released, and we're picking up here in verse 34. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. I just want to enjoy that moment a little longer. A little taste of heaven. And then he gives a couple of examples. Verse 36. He says, Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, uh, which means son of encouragement, he was a Levite, a native of the island of Cyprus. A, he sold a field that belonged to him, and he bought and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Likewise, in verse 1 of chapter 5, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, and I think part of the reason why we know about Sapphira is there, there are several Ananiases in the book of Acts. You know, the next one that you find is in chapter 9, who was ministering to the apostle Paul at his conversion. But Ananias, who was married to Sapphira, he also sold a a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Verse 3, but Peter said, I mean, you can just see Peter zeroing in on this man, looking at him eye to eye, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Wasn't it your stewardship? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? You have not lied to man. You have lied to God. When Ananias heard Peter's words, he fell down and had his last breath. And great fear came among, upon all who heard of it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, Sapphira showed up, 
not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me, Sapphira, whether you sold the land for so much. And she confirmed and said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have carried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. I'm not going to end there. That's what we might call a Debbie Downer. I mean, this is serious stuff. Verse 11, and great, or the Greek word mega, mega fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico, which is a location. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you'll take the reading of the word and especially the preaching of the word and make it an effectual means of salvation for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been starting each of the sermons this month with the words of Jesus from Matthew 24. You know, we've already looked at Matthew 28 with the Great Commission. We've all echoed that. But in Matthew 24, sometime earlier, Jesus met with his disciples and he told them in verses 9 to 14, they will deliver you up to tribulation. They'll put you to death. They will, and you will be hated by all nations, by the people from all around this world because of my name's sake. And then he goes on to say, and many will fall away and many will betray one another. And many will hate one another. In other words, if you're going to be on Jesus' team, guess what's on the horizon? An amusement park. You're going to be in Disneyland or whatever it still is. They've changed a lot of things down there to be woke. But this is no, this is no beautiful matter when Jesus warned the disciples that life ahead was going to be difficult. Uh, and then he ends up saying that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed, verse 14. But... Let me ask you this question. In order for us to be able to stand, or in order for those disciples to be able to stand against that kind of an enemy, a hostile world, a hostile world in life view, what do they need? They need a better pep talk, right? They need better preachers, right? They need more money. They need better buildings. What do you think they need? They need him. They need Jesus. Now, Jesus is telling his disciples that they are going to face something that's bigger than them, something that they could never handle on their own. And that's why in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which is the key verse for our whole series, Acts 1, 8 says that if you have that up in front of you, you're seeing, but you're going to receive what you need in order to be a witness to, to your family and to your neighbors and to your, your states and to your country and to your world. You're going to get what you need. What is it that you need right at the beginning of the verse? Power. We all need to have that kind of juice, that, that energy 
Now, many of us may not understand it. The Greek word there is dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite or dynamo. There's something that's almost electric or something that is potent that is in there. And God says he's going to give you what you need to be able to do this because you can't do it on your own. Woe to those who think that they can share good news without the help of God. Because their substitute is not good news. Let me quote to you what Solomon told us back in chapter 14 of Proverbs. There is a way that seems right and good to a person. It seems like good news, but the verse says that it leads to destruction. Jesus told us that broad is the way that leads to destruction, and it's, it's traveled by many. And in this era, this 21st century in the 20s, we are dealing with a culture that is listening to the wrong voices, that is being led by wolves in sheep's clothing. We are, we are bombarded with so many that have so many alternatives that they don't even call them alternatives anymore because they've tried to erase the original. It's no longer called alternative lifestyles or alternative beliefs. Now they're just options. And in reality, if you want to maintain the biblical position, you need to be silenced, canceled, and you need to be quarantined. Now, you will receive power. This is something that was so exciting and so beautiful that I, I never wanted to skip over that for, for our people because this is what we even have today, the power of God unto salvation. And even in the song we sang at the beach, that God's power is still real. He doesn't have a shortened hand. He didn't stumble. He's not in BB hospital. He's not, you know, on oxygen just trying to stay alive. No, our God is a consuming fire. Our God is great and greatly to be praised. And that's why in the last week's sermon, when the people of God understood it, they said, we have a sovereign God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. We know who's in charge. Now, that's the way we're starting. Now, if you're following along in the sermon today, uh, don't, be don't be too surprised when God's power shows up because God is still alive. You know, at the beach, I always emphasize we didn't spell the, the name of the service wrong when we say sunrise at the beach and we spell it S-O-N. Every, every time we're there, I always make an emphasis there. We're not talking about the S-U-N, which most people are prostrating themselves on the beach trying to, to soak it all in, to get the glow. Although some of them hide under the umbrellas, which is kind of an oxymoron. But if you think about it for a moment, we want to be in the presence of the S-O-N. And we want to receive his glow. We want the power that he sends to us. And it's not photosynthesis whereby a plant gets power from the sun, S-U-N, but it is the Holy Spirit giving us the power from the divine so that we have a purpose and a reason for waking up, for putting our foot on the floor, and for going out and doing what he has bid us to do. Ephesians 2.10 explains it even better. Now, in the day's sermon, there are three points I'm trying to drive home. The first one is the promised power of the Spirit produces noticeable results. It produces noticeable results. I'm going to look at five of them in just a moment. But in order to give you the helicopter view of today's sermon, so first of all, if you were walking around in those days or if you're reading the text of Scripture, you're going to see that God's power changes things. And if God can change things then, he can certainly change things now. In fact, I'd venture to say that everything's changing even whether you give God the credit or not. 
A lot of the changes we see are not for the better as we age and all those kind of things. But if you can see how God's kingdom is coming and how God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven, that's what we're to pray for. Because the power of God hasn't been turned off like a spigot. It is still ready to be dispersed. Now, we're going to see five noticeable results. Following that, we're going to realize that all of this power, this promised power, uh, is, is focused. And the second point is, is that the human heart is the focal point of all that power. We're going to be able to take a moment and just say, wow, of all the things that God's power could have done, God could have said, let there be a twin towers back up. It's almost like a Marvel movie. You know, he could have hit, or a Harry Potter movie. You could have turned back the dial and all of a sudden the buildings would go back up and we would be able to erase 9-11 or something. God has that kind of power. But when you realize that the focal point of that power is not on stuff, it is on souls. The human heart is the focal point. And your heart is part of the target zone. The third thing I want to draw your attention to is that this particular text uh, says that that power was not just wasted power. It wasn't just uh, used up randomly in different places with no rhyme or reason. There is order to it, and this is why I argue that God's church, the ecclesia, is the divine vehicle to harness that power. Amen. Now, if you think about that for a moment, I have to repeat it again. The, the God's church which I call the ecclesia from Scripture, is the divine vehicle to harness the power of God. If you take away the church from this world, what are you left with? Random power. You're going to find that as you look at the text, as you look at how Luke revealed it to us, God had a purpose and a plan. The reason why this power was unleashed at, at this time is because he was building up the church, and you'll see it right there in the text, and he's still building his church of which, Lord willing, you're a part and you're identified with because it is the divine vehicle to harness God's power that he's promised to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, if you're following along with me, that's pretty, pretty much where I'm heading. And I've got a few questions and answers at the end. We'll, we'll try to tie this loose ends up. But first thing, if you were standing there during this time, and, and this is only about two months after you could have heard the, the words, crucify him, crucify him, crucify! I always say it like that because I learned it in a Easter cantata. And it always made my... My body kind of cringe. How awful it was on Good Friday. People's hopes and dreams were dashed. The one that you had seen do miracles, the one whose words were so sweet, the one who walked on water, the one who glowed on the Mount of Transfiguration, the one who could raise Lazarus from the dead was bruised and beaten, despised and rejected. I want you to know that was only eight weeks ago. We're standing there in Acts chapter 4 and 5, and I'm telling you, it's fresh in people's minds. This was no small thing. Everybody was stirred by it. I, I even believe that some of the folks felt the earthquake. Some of them saw the darkness in the sky. They heard the echo of what Pontius Pilate had said, go ahead and crucify him. We're only two months later. People aren't over it yet. 
Jesus has been a blessing to some of the, the inner circle, some of the people, the disciples got special training, they got the Great Commission, but, but uh, 10 days ago, maybe 15 day, days ago from this text, he had just taken off from the Mount of Olives. He's gone again. So the people were told, pray, pray, pray. They gathered in that one room, in the upper room, they call it. And, and if you go over to Israel, you'll be able to find at least a couple of places where they claim is the upper room. And 120 people gathered there. And what did they do? They talked to God. God, this is scary stuff. You're not very close. It's pretty cool that you rose from the dead, but you want us to do that? You want us to go up against this whole culture? They just threw you on a cross. Your name is mocked. Anybody that's a follower of Jesus is seen as a quack. They're even coming up with conspiracy theories. They're saying that people snuck in and stole away the body and did this and that. I mean, can you imagine how bad it was? And it's in that context that we're introduced by Luke to some of the stories that resonated as he did this eyewitness interview. And the power that they saw shook them up. I want to just, in the text that we're looking at, God's power showed noticeable results. The first result is the power to meet common needs. Needs were met. That's just amazing. That's just flat out amazing. Needs were met. It reminds me of the, uh, of Psalm 23, which I know you know. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, I shall not be in need. It's really kind of cool how the power of God is able to to do this, to meet the needs that are there. It's pretty amazing. The second thing that you find is that the power of God was able to enable favored people to part with their possessions. Now, this is pretty amazing. Those of you that got possessions, I hope that you're not offended with this, but it must be hard. You've worked all your life to get the stuff, right? Unless you were born with a silver spoon and got the inheritance. But when you have the stuff, do you really want to give it away? Jesus told us about a rich young uh, ruler who came to him who said, I lived a good life. I tried to keep the commandments. I honored my mom and dad. I've been good to the poor. I've been really generous. Uh, He says, I've done all this. But he says, good teacher, what must I have to to inherit in her eternal life? What do I have to have in order to be able to get to heaven? And Jesus looked at him and he identified exactly what the problem was. Riches. Jesus told him, go sell all that you have and follow me. You know what happened to that rich young ruler? He went and sold all of his property and all of his houses, right? And he dumped it all that. He did it real quick. And then he showed back up to Jesus and he became one of the 12 disciples, right? No, the text tells us he had many possessions and he couldn't let go of them. He loved the stuff more than he loved the Savior. He had his heaven on earth, even though he knew there was something empty about it. Because why else would he ask about eternal life? All of his wealth couldn't buy him eternal life. Now, this amazing power from the Spirit allowed favored people to part with their possessions. (laughs) I almost should take an offering up right now. We need a little extra money in the, in the, uh, for, for the balance of the budget this year. Should we take it right now? Has the Holy Spirit enabled you to part with your personal possessions? Well, 
I want you to know if you're looking here, uh, the, <laughs> the action was um, that God's grace enabled these people to do something which they hadn't done before. And the illustration in the text is that two of the people actually did it, Barnabas and Ananias. And, and Luke says, hey, I knew about a couple of these institu- a couple people. Now, Luke, do you know where Luke, uh, where Luke is introduced to this story? He's in Acts chapter 16. He is converted. He's a doctor. He's a medical doctor. And he's connected through the ministry of Paul, and he joins the missionary team. And so he's familiar with some of the big names in the missionary teams. Can you think of another person that went on with Paul on some of the missionary journeys? Paul and Barnabas. Some of you could have said Paul and Silas, and some of you could have said Paul and Timothy. You'd be right, but Barnabas was one of the first guys. Same Barnabas. Barnabas is converted. Barnabas sees the truth, and God is the one that that, the power of God makes his heart a little different than it used to be. And he's willing to sell some of the pieces of property, some of the assets that he's attained, and he says, here, use it for the kingdom of God. Pretty cool. It's neat how, uh, how Luke gives us a couple extra details about Barnabas. You know, Barney came from Cyprus, and Barney was uh, known as a Levite. So he was one of those people that understood all that stuff from, from, uh, from Moses, because Moses was from the tribe of Levi as well. So it's really kind of neat when you realize all this stuff that was unfolding in this particular passage. But Luke just doesn't tell us about his friend Barnabas, or the famous Barnabas, but he tells us also about Ananias. And Ananias gets, gets singled out as being married to, to Sapphira, and that's a good thing. There's nothing negative about their marriage. In fact, I almost want to tell you it's one of the perfect marriages in Scripture. The husband and wife agreed. The husband and wife communicated. I mean, it was pretty cool. They're singing the same sheet of music, and they're in perfect harmony. I don't know if you ever noticed that before. But Barnabas got the same tug on his heart, and he wanted to sell his property, and he wanted to bring his offering to church. But there was something else going on. But the focus that I wanted you to give is Luke is telling us that the power of God was changing people. The folks who were favored and privileged, they were realizing that all that stuff didn't matter the same as it used to matter because they cared about others. Now, the third thing that you see, the third result is the power to expose the deceit within even a beautiful act. In this particular thing, you see the power of God to do something that hasn't been done before. You know, in this last age where everybody used to be masked up, you couldn't even identify sometimes who you were talking to because you'd have to look twice or you'd have to see if if that was still the same person behind the mask that you remembered. You know, some people have been quarantined so long that they hadn't even been around people. It's a wonder that they can speak English because sometimes you don't even listen and talk anymore. Now, what happened here is that, some, that, that God was showing stuff that was going on on the inside that had not been noticed by, by people because they only look on the outside. And so if you go back to Samuel when he looked at David, David was the last of all these kids. This is 1 Samuel chapter 15 and 16 where Samuel clearly says that man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart. I want you to take notice of that. That in this particular passage, one of the noticed things is that everybody realized that God looks on the heart. And that's why Peter could look at at this man and he could say, why? 
He could look right at him and he could see his soul and he could say, your soul is messed up. Satan is sifting you. Satan is, is giving you these false suggestions. You're listening to the wrong voice. And he ends up saying, why? What is the benefit? How does this achieve anything for you? What is the trade that you are willing to make? Is it a thrill? Is it the thrill of gambling that you think you'll be able to get away with it? Is it the thrill of feeling sacrificial? Is it the praise of men that you really want? Is it just that you don't want to have to let all of it go? I mean, it's so interesting that, that what was happening here had not been done before. That through these leaders, they were actually dealing with people's motives, their hearts. Now, the fourth, the fourth uh, issue that was brought up here is the power to unite a diverse community. You may not have realized this, but chapter 4 was, a, was the beginning of something new. Okay, I don't believe that this is the beginning of the church, but this is the beginning because I believe the organism of the church has already been in place since Genesis chapter 2 and 3. But I believe the organization of the church is growing now because Ephesians 4 verses 11 and 12 says that when Jesus ascended on high, which was uh, right at Acts 1.8, when he left, and that was about 10 to 15 days ago, he gave gifts unto men. In other words, he authorized people with the spirit to call elders, to call pastors, to call teachers, to call prophets, and to call apostles. So the leadership gifts were now authorized, they were empowered, and now that's what you have coming in, is that this group of people who have not been a group of people, there's always been a ragtag, fugitive uh, fellowships, but something's happened. The power of God is uniting a diverse community. Not only did they not have all this need, but you could see that they had a new universal respect. And the word church is used in our text. I could read it for you one more time here. Uh, it, is, it says, And great fear, verse 11, came upon the whole church. Wow. We've not really looked at the church as a whole before. And now we are. And the fifth thing that's noticeable is the power to expand the institution of the church. As I said, up to this point, the church has been an organism. It's made up of believers throughout all of time, people who truly are in Christ. But now the organization of the church is taking place with its leaderships. We see that God is doing something special with his power, and the institution of the church is no longer in seemingly uh, uh, paralyzed. It is now equipped, and you're going to see great things happen. You're going to see things that, that were almost unimaginable. That's why Jesus said, greater things will you do even than I'm doing right now. And he's not talking about providing salvation. He's talking about the communication of the gospel. Remember, Jesus had to veil his glory. He had to not let everybody know everything. Why did he speak in parables? So that he could plainly teach them, but that they would not plainly get it. When they asked him if he was the king of the Jews, he said, you've said it. He was, he actually is. He's king of kings and lord of lords. But all of that was held back. It was veiled until after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Now, when you realize that, those were the five main things that you could have noticeably seen. Does the power of God change things? Yes. Believe it. Now, the second point is that the, the human heart is the focal point of all of this power. I want to take you now for a moment and go back to all five of those and show you how the heart was the focal point. In the first particular place where we saw the noticeable change is that there was no more need. Tell me what's really going on. 
Well, Biden's plan sent out enough stimulus checks so that everybody had enough money to do everything they wanted to do. Is that what happened here? No, we're not actually talking about money. There is something going on here in the human heart. When I quoted for you Psalm 23, all of you were quick to finish that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in need. I shall not lack. I shall not be in want. Why? Because the human condition was satisfied. Something happened when the power of God came upon the people of God. They no longer had to have everything. I mean, you would have been sad if you're a marketing agent because you, didn't, you wouldn't, weren't, weren't going to sell the next widget to, the, to all these church people. They didn't need it. They were at peace. The hearts were satisfied. You know, in the, in the Veggie Tales, we used to call Madame Blueberry. She was so sad. That's why she was blue. But she didn't have everything that she wanted. And it's really quite a takeoff and a spoof to be able to talk about how people are just not satisfied these days. But when the power of God comes and he changes hearts, they end up being satisfied. I don't think everybody in the early church had all the same income. I don't think they all lived in the same living accommodations. I don't think they all had a horse to be able to put in their own stable. If you look around there, this was not an equality or an equity issue. This is something, this is not about the externals. It's about the heart being at peace. Everybody's needs were met. Isn't that cool? I think Jesus said it like this. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, the second thing that you saw in here was this, this great power uh, where, where some of these rich people were able to part with their possessions. Now, what's really going on? If you look at those rich people, instead of condemning them because they're rich, my goodness, I'm so grateful that some people have stuff. Because the Bible says that you're supposed to work with your hands the things that are good that you may have so that you may be able to meet needs. Because love meets needs. And if you have nothing, then you have nothing to meet the needs with. Praise God for people that work hard. Praise God for those that have an income. Praise God for those who invest in the kingdom of God. But there are always the poor that are going to be among you. And that's just the realities. Peter and John had just said to the lame man in chapter 3, we don't have a lot of that gold stuff. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I'll pass it on to you. He had the power of God to deal with brokenness. It's really neat when you start to realize what was going on in the hearts of these rich people is that God was giving them a softer, kinder, gentler, uh, phil philanthropic heart. They now had eyes to see needs, whereas before they only saw prophets. These people now looked at their property and instead of seeing it, oh, how beautiful this land is, oh, how, how this makes my, my portfolio looks better, they ended up seeing people who were in need who needed food, who needed encouragement who needed school supplies, who needed a bus for transportation. You see the application? God was working on the hearts of those who have to recognize the beauty of loving others and meeting their needs. Now, the third thing that you saw in here was this, this unique power uh, to expose the deceit within the, the beautiful act. God was actually showing us that hearts are not intended to be hidden. You're supposed to be able to see the true motives, not just the externalities. I mean, here you had Ananias coming to church and putting money in the offering, and he was putting more money in than a lot of the other people. We like Ananias, don't we? 
not, not once you see his heart. He had conspired, he had plotted, he had maneuvered, and then he even acted out with almost perfection. He was just like the great Barnabas, who was the son of encouragement, and he was following in this wonderful pattern, and with his perfect marriage, he was coming and acting like he was a part of the church par excellence. He would have been able to join almost every church because most people never look at the heart because you can't without the power of the Spirit. When you look at Galatians 6, verses uh, 1 and 2, it says, brothers, when you see someone overcome with sin, you who are spiritual have to be able to come alongside that person. Make sure you consider yourself and your own heart, lest you fall guilty of the same thing. And then he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I mean, all of this is for spiritual people, people who can discern what's right and wrong. Today, you can't even trust the Supreme Court to get it right. Everybody is pragmatic. Everybody is built on case law. Everybody is trying to say, well, this is what so-and-so did, and this is what so-and-so thinks, and this is what's popular over here, and this is what they're doing in Germany, and this is why we're going to do this. And the next thing you know, they're doing things that seem right in their own eyes and then even seems popular to the people. But it's foolishness because they're cutting the cords of Christianity away. They're living in a postmodern world. And as my conversation with that lovely lady at the beach that we invaded her space, she looked at me and she says, that's right. My grandchild is growing up in a confused world. And there's not many people who will ever tell her the truth. Now, I told you there was this, this interesting thing that God was concerned about exposing hearts. And that's one of the things that, that the power of God does. It tells you that you can fake it for a little while, but you can't fake it forever. And you're not going to fake it when you stand knocking at the pearly gates. And he says to you, why should I let you in? Oh, I gave money to the church. Do you see how empty that answer is? It's not about your money. It's about your motives. It's about what's going on in your heart, which is the whole point that the human heart is the focal point of the Spirit's power. Let me quickly finish those last two. When you look at the, the, the next thing about the human heart to bring about a diverse community into unity, we talk about the unity in the word community. Hey, how can so diverse people get along? In Acts chapter 2, we learned that, that of the 3,000 converts, they were from all over the place, from Africa, from Arabia. They were from some of Europe, and they were from Israel. Some of them grew up in Israel, and they were a part of the Hebrew community. And some of them even grew up in, in, in Israel, and they were a part of the Greek-speaking Hellenistic group who spoke uh, that, the, the Hellenistic language from, uh, from, from basically Alexander the Great's time. There's a lot of diversity did, you, did any of you see in the text that they were racially, uh, systematically uh, messed up? Let's look again in chapter 4. Uh, I just have to read it for you. I, I mean, this, this is impossible to think that this actually could happen among Christians. It was kind of interesting in verse 11. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Man. Are you trying to tell me that God is no distinguisher of people? You mean God didn't check what skin color you have? And God didn't check what language you're speaking? Or what accent you might have? 
or whether you're short or whether you're tall or whether you're a female or a male or whether you're confused because there really isn't any other choice. Do you understand what I'm saying? That the unity of this community was because the power of God came to change hearts. They didn't look at each other and say, oh, you're from Ethiopia. Oh, you're over from here. No, of course, the scripture tells us because Luke heard that they were from all over the place because there had to be tongues that would allow them to hear the gospel in their own language. But when they're all in unison here, they're all singing the same song. They're all recognizing the great God. Now, I'm quickly going to touch on the last point there is that the power to expand the institution of the church. This is really, really cool because when you realize this is that the people there, they're not, they're not fighting with each other because they have peace with God and they're in, in fellowship with the saints, whether they're from here or whether from there, whether they're local or not. And, and, and I know this because the interaction was pretty good here until chapter 6. Then some favoritism snuck in and, and the deacons had to deal with that. But in chapter 4, we find out that what was going on is they had a unity of purpose. Sixty days ago, Jesus was crucified. And now they're standing there and they realize that God's power is not gone. That's amazing. I got to finish this sermon real quick. So I want to be able to tell you that God had actually done, he's moved from the external to the internal. He moved from the gift and, the, and which is seen to that which is unseen, which is the motive. And he moved from the darkness of the heart because men's hearts are evil continually to the light that the power of God brings to expose the light. Barnabas was not condemned. Ananias and Sapphira were. The last point of this sermon is that God's ecclesia, the church, is the divine vehicle to harness this power. And I want you to just see it very, very quickly and be able to recognize that God didn't do arbitrarily just kill Ananias and Sapphira. It would be like walking down a mall up in in Wilmington and somebody died, somebody else died. We would say, so what? We would wonder whether there was a new virus that China sent. You know, we might try to figure out, well, why did somebody die? You know, no, no. This was not given as an accident or an aberration. This was clearly done by God's divine design in order to show that the church, the ecclesia, is the vehicle where the power of God is going to be harnessed. And that's why I encourage all of you to be numbered with God's people, to be a part of the church. Don't be an outsider. You need to be in Christ, just like the illustration of the ark. If you're in the ark with Noah then you're not going to drown. If you're outside the ark, you will. That's the whole point about being a part of the church. I don't want you to run away from the church, even though it's not popular, even as I said at the beach and a little bit earlier today, is that most folks don't even want to build buildings that have steeples anymore. People today, if you're in a building committee, you're probably trying to build some edifice that doesn't look like a church. You almost want to fake people out. So when they get in there, then they'll experience the power of God. Because right now, the idea of the church is in disdain. I think Barna did a report that it is super low, the respect that the clergy have. Nobody's listening to them. I can even tell you, I've been up here for 11 years in Delaware, and I've only had clergy ask me a few times. I guess it does, if if I count Charlie, then it goes up a few more times, being that you're one of our church members. But, but when you think about it, most people are just doing whatever they want to do. They're leaning on their own understanding. And the church has become irrelevant. Now, I, and when making this application, I just want to show, shore up the fact that, number one, is that this is the first time in all of time 
that the people have felt the community of the church. If you go back to that verse in chapter 4, let me just read it for you, right before our text in 4, verse 31. And when the people had prayed, the place in which they were gathered were, were together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's what happened right before we have everybody's needs being met. They were already experiencing this, this unity in the community. They experienced what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, which Paul later expounds upon with the explanation that the Holy Spirit gives them, a good theological explanation about the unity in the body of Christ. The second thing that the people here got as the church is discipline. Oh, boy. Everybody likes discipleship as long as it's not bothering them, but nobody likes dis discipline. You know what had happened in chapter 5, verses 1, 2, 3? That God was exposing sin in the church, and God says, no. Now, some of you are parents. Did you ever tell your children no? Rose told me that she did that. She said her kids knew the word no. Many people today think that there is no reason to stop, that people should have what they want. They can, they can, they can even have sex whenever they want. They can have sex with whoever they want. They can, they can do anything they want. And God is saying here is that no to sin. Now, this is kind of an interesting twist because he's actually giving money to the church. That sounds really wonderful. But the interesting thing is that it's really not about the gift and it's really not about all of the, the peripherals because externally it looked pretty nice. It was about the internal heart and the church was being purged of this evil. If there's evil in your heart and you're in church today, you should be confessing it. Why doesn't God just go ahead and zap some of you here or zap me? You know, I've told many of you I'm going to visit you and I haven't been there yet. I must be a big liar. Some of you have said you were going to help and you didn't help. I mean, it's quite popular in our culture that all the people that I've asked to come to church and they said, oh, I'll come. They haven't. Why did God single out Ananias and Sapphira? Because he was teaching his church from the very beginning of the organization that he is not okay with the sinful heart. Every Sunday, we plead with you that if, if the Lord is convicting you and he's, and he's causing you to see the truth and veracity of Scripture, that you don't just say, oh, well, and go away. I don't want you to be like the rich young ruler and say, well, I can't handle it. I'm going to leave. Come and talk to the Lord. As it said in John chapter 6, when Jesus had some harsh words and he exposed the wrongdoing, the people said, you alone have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to go but to you. Come to the cross. Come and talk to the Lord. He's already opening your eyes up. I told you there's three things. Not only did the church experience community here and they experienced their first dose of discipline, but they also experienced some shepherding. Shepherding. Do you realize that they were not without a shepherd? If you look at Acts chapter 4, can you name a couple of their preachers? Peter, John. You'll be able to go down the list, a lot of those apostles. Peter was the most outspoken. Is Peter invisible or is he out front? Is Peter doing everything? No. But Peter is modeling a faith in Christ. 
Peter was told by, by the Holy Spirit that when you get out of the, out of the jail, go speak. Go, to, go meet with your friends. Go meet with the community and pray with them. Peter's been doing all of these things. He's been modeling and coaching and shepherding these people. And so when you get to the end of chapter 5, you've already found that the people of God are not without leadership. It's pretty amazing that they also, the leadership explained what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Can you imagine if Ananias and Sapphira just died when they brought their gift to the church? Without Peter's explanation? They would have said, oh, that was sad. But they would have never understood. And there would have never been this great thing. And I'll read it for you and I'll close in prayer with this. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon everyone who heard about Ananias and Sapphira. And verse 14, and more than ever, believers were added to the community called the ecclesia. Has God added you today? Do you see the truth of the living and true God? Don't lean on your own understanding and don't be so concerned about the culture and about its agenda. Seek ye first what God has in store. His power is going to save to the uttermost all who call upon his name. Lord, I thank you for the hope that we've been given in the gospel. I thank you that this, this community was developed. I thank you that you did not shut down the spigot of the power of God. And so even though that they saw Jesus ascend, Lord, we saw the unleashing of a power that has changed the world, or as Acts 17, verse 6 says, that was known that it turned the world upside down. Right now, oh Lord, it looks like the world is turning us upside down. I do pray that it would be the other way around. We pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done first in our hearts, in our lives, so that it may be done elsewhere in this globe. In Jesus' name I pray.